Have you ever wanted to be the first to know if aliens really exist? Well, with Nebula, you can be! Nebula is the streaming service that's home to its Probably Not Aliens, as well as our YouTube channels. And the best part? All of our content goes up early on Nebula. So when we break first contact with E.T., you'll be the first to find out. That's right, you'll be able to listen to the next episode of this show before anyone else. Plus, we post bonus content that you won't find any other place. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and be the first to know if this time it really is aliens. Why did the cheetah go to Zimbabwe? It wanted to experience some zebra love. Did you hear about the musician who visited Zimbabwe? He said the beats there were unzimable. Did you ask ChatGPT to write you jokes about Zimbabwe? Yeah. What did the lion say to the safari guide in Zimbabwe? I'm impressed by your knowledge of the jungle. They're really bad. These, These are terrible. Are so bad. I don't get some of them. Me the neither. last one I sort of got because it was like impressed, but it was Zim. How did the Zimbabwean farmer feel when he won the lottery? He was simply ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just put Zim in front of like you. That's so. It's so simplistic, Tristan. These jokes. Yeah. This is I'm a podcast. Sorry. This is a podcast. <laughs> this was a podcast. This is the last episode of this podcast because I have been shamed out of existence. This is a podcast called It's Probably Not Aliens. We're just gonna get into it. We're, oh, okay. we're operating on a different on a on a different wavelength today than we normally do. I'm less caffeinated than usual. That's what it is. Yeah. But I'm more caffeinated than usual. So it's gonna be a wild ride. My name is Scott Nicewander. I'm the person of this podcast that knows nothing, but I do know that those AI generated jokes are not good. That's the only thing I know. And I'm Bob Way. Oh my God. <laughs> I am Tristan Johnson and I did, I'm the one whom who knows, who knows the, uh, the Eldritch secrets that drive people wild. And uh, this podcast, we talk about ancient astronaut, ancient aliens, UFOs, pseudo history, pseudo archaeology, you know, the stuff the History Channel tries to tell you is real. Yeah. And today we are taking a little break from the Ancient Aliens TV show because yeah. about a month ago, we got a listener uh, on the YouTube channel by the name of Kela Mulenga, who is a listener mm -hmm. from Zambia. Shout out to all the Zambian, it's probably not yeah. aliens heads out there. Woo! Uh, and asked about this topic. And then when I looked it up, this topic is actually like one of the reasonably large UFO sighting type uh, close encounter type situations. And I was like, oh, okay, let's, let's do it. Let's take All a look. Right. Let's what, what do you call people who are like really uh, obsessive over Zimbabwe and love it and would do anything for it? They're, they, they're called Zimps. They zimp for Zimbabwe. They're zimping for Zimbabwe. Yeah. Oof. No, we go. need like a sad trombone sound there. All right. Like, oh, yeah, it's more of that. <laughs> oh, I literally have labeled that sad trombone, so 
Good job. Sad trombone is good. It's is, is a useful one for those types of humor. But yeah, today we're talking about uh, an event that happened in uh, September of 1994 in a primary school in Rua, Zimbabwe. Hence all of these Zimbabwe jokes. Jokes could be in quotes, I think. Heavy air quotes around jokes. Attempts at Zimbabwe jokes. jokes. Uh, 1994, I was two years old Baby Scott. when this happened. So you can't blame me for anything. Just as much beard. Well, maybe a little, little less, a little less beard. Just a touch less. Definitely same amount of hair. That's true. I forgot that beards weren't in style back in the 90s. No, I was a clean shaven baby. Yeah. <laughs> it was growing too fast. They were like, come on, man, you look ridiculous. I did have a mustache, though, as a baby. That was the mustaches the- were a 90s thing. Yeah, yeah. They right? were still in style, probably. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like goatees were like a 90s thing. The thing is like, I, it's it's wild because I remember, like this is like one of those things where like a major fashion change happened during my lifetime mm-hmm. and I like watched it happen live where like when I was a kid, there's a bunch of things, but like when I was a kid, I remember hearing like, oh, like if you want to be taken seriously in, in a professional or work setting, you have to maybe, you have to be clean shaven every day because, you know, yes. you have to look like you don't, you're not scruffy. And then two, mm-hmm. um, make sure that if you get a tattoo, Tattoo, never put it anywhere where you can see because the second uh, a boss sees your tattoo, yes, they will they will instantly spontaneously combust on the spot, yep. and you will never ever see office ever again. You'll, You'll never, never be, be able, able to, to thank God that it's Friday ever. Well, that was the problem is they did a casual Friday and it, it was too casual. People got tattoos. It's the, just the like, casual That's Friday too casual never ends. for Friday. <laughs> But now, like, you know, uh, now that I am approaching my mid thirties, I'm like, oh, I've noticed over time the sort of fact, I mean, fashion's changed in all sorts of different ways since like, you know, the late eighties when I was born. But, uh, but one of the things that's like really stuck is like beards are, are, are okay now. Beards are, beards are all right. A well taken care of beard is now like the sign of being like a well taken care of guy. And so mustaches are back. I like a good mustache. I can't grow just a mustache. Yeah. I need the full beard because my mustache is just sort of like, eh, but. You know, I like seeing people with mustaches. They look nice. There's a YouTuber named Noah Sampson who I like a lot. Oh my God. Like buddies. And he looks like he's a member of Motorhead because not only does he have a mustache, but he has like a mullet. And I'm like, I don't know where that. By the way, if Noah Sampson ever listens just, to this podcast, one, please look, come on the show. You're great. And I think that your content is very funny. I just, I'm like, whoa, what decade does this guy also, come out of? <laughs> I am also vaguely acquainted with Noah Sampson. And I just want to say, like, I can't think of a of a hunkier hotter youtuber right now than noah samson like he makes it work what a good looking guy he's definitely discovered a new thing that works and i like it but it does make me think like oh he's like in motorhead or something that's cool yeah Anyway, this is not about this Noah This is the Samson. Noah Sampson cast. This is the Sampson cast now. <laughs> this is the all Noah Sampson all the time podcast where we talk about Noah Sampson's uh, mustache and hair stylings. Yeah, this is this is Noah Sampson mustache watch. We are just going to focus it's on still this. There and it's still good. It's still there. still great. Wouldn't change a thing. Uh, but, to, but to talk about uh, what, what happened, let's, let's do the claim. The claim. Millions of people around the world believe. That <laughs> never gets old. <laughs> millions of people around the world believe that in... Zimbabwe at the Ariel uh-huh. Primary School on September 16th, a UFO sighting occurred. Ooh. 
See, I got the sound effects. We just opened up a locked door in Zelda. Ooh. A bunch of children witnessed a UFO land in their playground and saw two beings with large eyes emerge. And this is one of the best documented UFO cases in Close Encounters of the Third Kind ever because according to a actual psychiatrist and an actual journalist who went and did research there, they have testimonies from 62 witnesses Whoa. with Whoa. surprisingly uh, good accounts, like, you know, consistent accounts. All right. Talk, and one of those uh, one of those experts was a psychiatrist from Harvard. Oh, so you know he means business. Yeah. So Harvard psychiatrist went and talked to these kids along with a journalist by the name of Cynthia Hind. And between them, they interviewed 62 school children who all claim that they saw the exact same thing. Yeah. You let me know when it gets annoying. We are deep. We are deep in the um, having fun with the soundboard part of a podcast life cycle. Don't worry. It got, like I said, it has a it has a moment where it gets too far and then it goes away. But yeah, the witnesses say that they saw like pilots and air traffic controllers reported seeing the object and said it didn't look like an aircraft or a meteor. And the children at the school described a ship that came out and then figures who emerged from the craft described as little black men hmm. and a said that the, the aircraft made no sounds and had strange movements. Okay. And that the drawings done by the children show that there's a lot of consistent details, including a dome-shaped disc on three legs and the figures having large oval-shaped eyes. Huh. Some children mentioned that they even received a message from the aliens telling them that uh, they uh, need to protect the environment. And that uh, that is the main that was the main message they had for these school children is that we are not taking care of the planet, which like, honestly, true. Honestly, rad. Yeah. So that's cool of those aliens. The aliens showed up. They didn't give us the free energy device, but they did say, hey, stop, stop doing that pollution, brah, and then left. And maybe they stopped and they're like, you should stop doing pollution. And they're like, okay, well, can you give us like the schematics to this like magic reactor that lets you travel faster than light? Because if you have the infinite energy to accelerate that fast we could probably use that here and then they were like bye and then they disappeared figure it out yourselves pull yourself up from your bootstraps bye bye oh, no. not only are aliens <laughs> invading but they're libertarians <laughs> That's going to be the worst. Aliens are going to- The worst kind of aliens. There's my solution to the Fermi paradox. Aliens do exist, but they're all libertarians, and they would think that making first contact with us would be a handout, and so we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. (laughs) But then when we go into space, like the biggest, in the Galactic Senate, the biggest issues are like whether or not you can drink raw milk and what the like age of marriage should be. Isn't that kind of what it is in Star Trek, though? You like aliens aren't allowed to contact people until they build faster than light travel or something like that? Yes, it's called the Prime Directive. It's violated constantly, but the idea is that constantly. you're not supposed to intervene with the natural development of a civilization. Yeah. But th- that's more until in like, they build cool stuff. And then you're like, all right. Well, these, until these, they develop these the technology cool. where basically uh, contact with other aliens is inevitable, right? That's inevitable. That's not the time to make yeah. themselves. It makes sense. It's got some issues. It's a weird, it's weird. It's Star Trek. Star Trek has over 700 episodes and has been written by like hundreds of different writers. So obviously the Prime Directive goes a lot of different places. We, we've already established that I am far too deep in the Star Trek. Uh, in the tra- We can't get into it. Yeah. yeah. So tell me more about this event. Yeah. So what makes this event a really big deal is that it has a lot of consistency. The eyewitness accounts talk about it. And there's just like a lot of acknowledgement. Like uh, one, one article that sort of brought this back talked about how, well, now that the U.S. government is, you know, taking UFOs more seriously with the UAP stuff, now we should be in, we should return to this UFO sighting and take it more seriously. Is this the best documented case where we have dozens of eyewitnesses who saw an actual alien? 
can emerge from a ship and say, hey, stop polluting. Yeah, because this happened, what, near almost 20, almost 30 years ago now? Mm-hmm. God, I hate that. And yeah, it feels like just based on 62 eyewitnesses who, as far as I know, have all told relatively the same story of, of events. You say you hate that. I hate it more than I remember. I have memories from 1994. So yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it sounds like a, it sounds like a really big event to to not investigate. I say absolutely. I want to know more about it. Yeah. Investigate it. So let's talk about, let's give, let's get the the basic facts of what happened. September 16th, 1994, 62 children at the Ariel School in Ruwa, Zimbabwe, claimed to witness a craft land and encounter a being who communicated telepathically about the need to care for the planet. It was widely documented by news organizations, including the national broadcaster ZBC or ZBC for for you Americans. Thank you. Basically like the Zimbabwe um, answer to like the BBC or the C. ABC or ABC, depending upon which Commonwealth country you're in, because uh, the unfortunate thing that uh, is Zimbabwe used to be a British colony called Rhodesia. And that's all I'm going to say about that. All right. I'm sure there's nothing more to look into. Yeah. And again, it was it was investigated by John Mack, who was the head of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Mm-hmm. And did say that the children's counts were legitimate. This seems like a pretty open and shut case. This is aliens. That's awesome. Dr. John Mack said that it was legit. So that's pretty cool. And then we just, we just can trust what, because he has doctor in front of his name. Yeah. So, so, so let's, let's, I mean, yeah, let's, that's, let's, that's it. <laughs> episode over. Yep. 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 We found him. We did it. We got it. it this is the fine. This, this is the last episode. As I said, it's aliens. This time it probably is aliens. Uh, this we, time it's aliens. Let's, 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 but just for the sake of completeness, let's do a little bit of investigation about oh, how all this yeah, stuff yeah. went down. Just to be fair and balanced, just to present both sides. As you and I are known to do, we love giving equal priority and equal balance to all sides of an argument and equal attention to every every angle. Exactly. Because that's what's that's what's fair. So let's do that. So the first thing that comes to mind as a possible place where you might be able to criticize what happened is that this story, this remarkably consistent story, evolved from various different stories that sort of coalesced around a single narrative because mm. a lot of these interviews took place weeks or even months after the event happened. But the initial accounts were less sensational and had the children's drawings of the spacecraft did vary by quite a bit. But as time moved on, stories changed. The beings became more like aliens and the UFO narrative started Mm. to take hold and the UFOs all started to look a lot more similar. The later, the more time passed since the interviews. Okay. Which is a sign that maybe this is not as um, objectively talking. Yeah. Yeah. People are talking. They're sort of comparing notes and they're sort of being like, did you see this part? And it's like, you know, maybe I did see that. And everything's sort of like forming into what disparate stories sort of forming into one narrative, Mm -hmm. it seems. Yeah. There's three major things that I can talk about that sort of pick apart at what happened here. Mm -hmm. The first is that the interview methodology shows a lot of questions 
quotation marks. The second is that the claim is that they knew about all this UFO stuff, but they were in rural Zimbabwe. They would not have been able to, like they couldn't possibly have known about science fiction and UFO sightings and that kind of thing. And the third claim that, uh, and also a little bit of talking about who this John Mack guy is, but let's start with the interview methodology. This was- Yes, please. This research was very fun because I had to read a very long article in French, which I can kind of speak and I can kind of read, but not great, but I did my best. Not great. Uh, All right. But, uh, Better than me. But I was reading the work of a French skeptic by the name of uh, Gilles Fernandez, who did a investigation and found that the interview methodology has a bit to be desired. Mm, tell me about that. So the proper way, if you're going to interview, especially children about the event, you need uh-huh. to do things a certain way. Specifically, you need to ask a lot of open-ended questions. You need to interview the, t- the students one by one. And also, you want to work very hard to create an environment in which you do not establish yourself as an authority over them or that you are looking for any particular answer because kids are very likely, especially in a school setting, to oh. want to please and, um, you know. Um, I get you. So, like, for example, you wouldn't want to say, like, did you see aliens? Because kids might want to be, might want to say yes to you because <laughs> you, if they think you're an authority figure, they might want to be like, yeah, I saw aliens. Okay, did you see that the spaceship was blue? They're like, I yeah, I saw the blue spaceship. Like you, when you ask question, when you ask like leading questions like that, especially if it's like yes or no, and especially if it it's feels little like kids. yes. And especially if it's little like kids. Like a primary yeah, school. We're not talking about even like a high school. These are like, you know, probably like people between the ages of like six and 12, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. The other thing too is that when you're doing eyewitness account research, you also need to interview them as soon after the event as possible. So all of these things come up. Immediately, yeah. So the first red flag in Fernandez's um, study showed that they did collective interviews. So that meant that they did interviews where multiple children at once, which you can already yeah. see would uh, mean that you not only had multiple kids in the room, but you also had the ability for students to build off of each other's details in order to seem more consistent. They're influencing each other. They are... Yeah, it it would it would feel like it would probably be a thing where if one person says something, I don't know if other people in the group would want to publicly like in that same group want to like discredit them. They would exact like exactly what you were saying. They would probably want to build off of each other and be like, "Yeah, that happened." And also, mm-hmm. it's like an improv game. It's a yes and yeah. sort of situation. There's also a lot of social social psychological research that shows that if you even take an adult and put them in a room and you like you take an adult, put them in a room with three other people who are actors, and Mm -hmm. you get uh, them to answer trivia questions. If all three confidently give the wrong answer, the fourth person Mm -hmm. is more likely, even if they know the answer is wrong, to sort of change their answer and vote in the affirmative along with the group. I have have experienced that firsthand not in in not in that sort of thing but like not like i don't i wasn't surrounded by actors but like you had a guy who once said that uh that um that what's his name that um (laughs) yeah i i once was on a podcast with someone who said that cronenberg directed the thing and he said it so confidently (laughs) that i was like yeah i agree you're probably right about that (laughs) 
But you have another personal story. Oh yeah. I, I was, I was doing like a fun little test on a vlog of, of just like, if we can taste the difference between like tea that's been microwaved versus tea that's been like properly brewed in a, in a kettle. And like, I could taste, I genuinely could taste the difference. And I even said so on the vlog because we did it next to each other. And the, the person next to me was like, I think this is, you know, this one's the microwave, this one's the regular one. And I was and I was like, I think you're, I think you're messing with me, but I don't, but I'll go with you on it. I think it's the other way around. But so it's just like, you can, you, you're, you can be influenced by anybody who. Yeah. And in a tight enough situation, you could even convince yourself that you are wrong and they are right. Uh, it's part Absolutely. of the fact that we're social animals and that we have parts of our brains that are designed so that uh, if we have disagreements, we can suppress our disagreements in order to go with the flow because otherwise we wouldn't be a very good social species. It's probably one of our most self-destructive habits because it's the reason that we like, you know, lead to things like authoritarian and mass hysterias and, uh, you know, um, sort of moral panics and uh, all those kinds of things. So Mm. uh, it's part of it's part of our thing. And that, you know, it, it, it makes us harmonize, but it also makes us believe and do things that we probably wouldn't want to do. The other thing, too, that happened is that these interviews did happen months after the event, which meant that they did have time to talk to each other about what happened and sort of build different stories in their head, uh, which, you know, this Mm -hmm. actually goes into my PhD research, which is that uh, in some ways, when a large event happens, they start off as personal, independent, individual narratives. And then over time, the details and sort of the meaning that we take away from it start to congeal as they mix with all of the other social realities surrounding that narrative. And over time, what starts off as something that we experienced firsthand turns into sort of a collective story that we then see. And eventually that becomes like history. Mm. I was doing this about how we remember 9-11 and how we could see 9-11 turn from that thing we are experiencing in real time to historical event with that's more about meaning and all that kind of thing. But in this yeah. case, it it is a yeah, even a few months can begin to coalesce uh, even in your own head. Oh, like, for again, sure. This is not them like making up a story. This is them remembering details differently because, you know, it being talked about in school and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, too, is that in the interview, you find that Hint, the journalist who was there, she actually interrupted students a lot during the interviews and didn't allow for free narratives, which resulted possibly in some compiled stories. Again, breaking a lot of the rules about how you interview children, you need to use open-ended questions and minimize biases. So closed and multiple choice questions should be avoided when you're doing this kind of research. Makes sense. And furthermore, John Mack's interview methodology was also criticized in this article because it potentially encouraged children to imagine or provide a desired answer. It might have led to children creating narratives matching his own beliefs and concerns. Um, specifically, he did drawing sessions about what, what they saw, and many times these were done in the context that seemed like not like they were not an interview, but they were some sort of school exercise or a game, which mm-hmm. in that kind of context means that children might be... Uh, Uh, drawn to imagine things or try to give an answer that the teacher wants if he's establishing himself in sort of this teacher-student relationship. Okay. Even if it's not an intentional thing, putting them in that context, 
I believe the term in psychology is you are priming them to think and act a certain way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, furthermore, if you look at the interviews, while they're like, you know, there are 60 some students who did claim that they saw lights or that they were, uh, they, you know, they saw f- things from the distance. Only a really small group of children actually claim that they saw the close encounter and that they actually saw the aliens themselves. Okay. And some of the witnesses uh, have actually admitted in the years since that they lied about the event and what they saw. Like they just admitted it later on. Mm-hmm. Maybe the government got to them. Maybe the government got to them and told them, oh, just say that you were lying. You ever think about that? The men in black showed up with their little flashy gun thing. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too that is interesting to point out is that while like 60 some children did see this event, no teachers did. In fact, there's no adult testimonies to this at all. It's all children witnesses. You think it's like 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 a Polar Express sort of a thing where you just have to believe there are actually some, there are some explanations that I've seen that might think that this was some sort of prank, that they were all going to say uh, they saw a UFO and that's why like, like part of it. And then it kind of got out of Because they didn't want to take a test that day. Or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really <laughs> would love to do rad. algebra, uh, Miss Jones, but uh, did you see the UFO? I'm sorry. Did I have you to take, see a, the take UFO? an alien we day. We all saw it. Yeah, yeah. We all, everyone saw it. Right, gang? Right, everyone? Yeah. I saw the aliens and they said we don't want to do a spelling test today they said take care of the planet and don't worry about grammar save paper by not doing a test yeah exactly the other claim that the so that that's that like that shows that there's like a lot of issues in the methodology used and that under academic scrutiny this sort of thing would not pass ethics and would not be suitable for being like accurate and verifiable information given that not only is it bad interviewing techniques but it's especially bad when you are interviewing children Children and children, uh, like I said, have to have special considerations when you're gathering uh, gathering information from them. Mm-hmm. The other th- claim is that these kids had all of this, like they saw flying saucers, they saw aliens, even though in rural Zimbabwe, there is no way that they could have had uh, exposure to sort of the science fiction and UFO stuff that would have primed them to believe that something like swamp gas reflecting off of Venus or something like that could be an alien. This one, I already don't believe in this claim. Yeah. Because culture, like any sort of like sci-fi culture, really just any sort of like pop culture stuff spreads all over the world, especially when you have people traveling there and especially during, I don't know if this plays into it at all, but like literally, I mean, because this was during the 90s, but like I'm sure even before then, like any UFO stuff was around in like America in like what, the 50s, 60s or something? Mm -hmm. It, It had decades to spread. I mean, I on my YouTube channel, I made a video ages ago about how comic book heroes made their way to different parts of the world and specifically Africa because of stuff like any sorts of wars where people would bring comic books with them and they'd be stationed there and and you know local people would interact with anyone who was stationed there and they would talk about comic books and stuff like that so like th- this sort of stuff spreads all over the place in so many different ways it it is so wild to me that someone could just make the claim that they didn't have UFO culture like almost 50 years after you know yeah. UFOs were like, even started becoming a thing to even further complicate that uh yeah. this school at the time was uh primarily white students 
it is not the case mm. today. It is primarily black students today. Um, uh-huh. But the thing is, like, you're talking about, like, Zimbabwe has a complicated colonial history and um, specifically about the kind of stuff you're talking about, about cultural exchange and wars. Uh, Zimbabwe clawed its freedom from European colonists in one of the most brutal wars of independence in history. Uh, mm-hmm. And the government of the colonial, the colonial government of Rhodesia, which was the name of um, the colonial name for, for the colony or for Zimbabwe was, uh, was inundated with mercenaries uh, because it was brought up. Mm. Um, I, I actually, this is me delving into research. I did for some videos on step back, but like the war, uh, the, like the Rhodesian government trying to find fighters to fight against these people who are trying to get away from colonization involved them hiring a lot of mercenaries and a lot of mercenaries who joined the call to join such a war were people who were primarily invested in white supremacist and like white power type mm. groups. Um, we're getting very off topic here, but like uh, this is Not a reason as off topic as you'd think a lot of, yeah. uh, you know, cause we've talked before that like a lot of, ancient uh, a lot of like alien belief sometimes stems from white supremacy of like oh the pale aliens with their blue eyes and the paleans yeah um yeah (laughs) but uh but basically like the this is the reason why like uh like white supremacists today uh some of the like flags that they might use as part of their their symbology will be the um, pre like the apartheid flag of South Africa, which borders Zimbabwe and the Rhodesian flag. I don't want to get into any names of like, but there are, there have been like mass shooters in the U S who did like racist violence, who had like the flag of Rhodesia on their, on things. So, but it does mean that mm. there was uh there is a crossover of like American mercenaries dropping into, into Zimbabwe and interacting with the population there, uh, including like possibly yeah. the parents of these kids, but that's not even that like, that is also to imply that like, Zimbabwe, when it isn't at war, is somehow disconnected. Yeah, like isolated from the rest of the world. Yeah, or and it sort of builds into this, I think, fairly uh, racist narrative that uh, Africa, especially sub-Saharan Africa, and especially like this sort of like southern, Af- like these like like countries like the Democratic Republic of Congo and such, uh, but Zimbabwe is like these countries that are like barely out of like that are sometimes like technologically like very backwards and that they're very isolated when they are Mm -hmm. you know they are countries that do have like they are economically developing countries but they are also they do have tv they do have movies they are aware of things that are going on in the world furthermore so in this thing the the children definitely uh were likely because of the line of questioning they received seem to think that ufos were part of what the uh what the inner viewers were looking for do you do you think their favorite alien show in zimbabwe is um invader zim Ooh, you're actually not as far off as you'd think oh really i'll get into it in a second but first of all um one of the things that i think uh, i've been sitting on for far too long here is that this all happened within days of a ufo fever reaching across zimbabwe so what happened was uh, the Cosmos 2290 satellite was being launched into orbit and the Zenit 2 rocket that launched it off, the Zenit 2 is like a sort of Russian rocket. Mm-hmm. As it burned up on re-entry, it left this like streak of fire across the, scra- the sky in Southern Africa, including Zimbabwe. Oh. And uh, because the Russians did, or whoever launched these satellites didn't really tell the people of Southern Africa that this was like a rocket, uh, a lot of different communities interpreted this as UFO sightings. 
And so this was being talked about on the news. This was being talked about on the ZBC. And so this was a thing that was in the air at the time when these kids then saw the UFO. It was literally in the air. Yeah. And yeah. furthermore, uh, it, when looking at the children's drawings, there is a resemblance to a flying saucer on a TV show called The Invaders that was a popular children's huh. show in Zimbabwe at the time of, uh, the, of, the, of the event. Wild. All of these, <laughs> you have these exact, like, direct correlations. These, like, how could they know about UFOs? All they have is a very popular TV series that children watch called The Invaders. Yeah. And everyone was talking about UFOs on the radio because... Uh, <laughs> and everyone was talking about UFOs. How, how would they have known about it? Yeah. Furthermore, let's, let's talk a little bit about these interviewers. John Mack is a Harvard psychiatrist, yes? Uh, yeah. And interviewed their Dr. claims. Dr. John Mack. Yeah, Dr. John right. Mack. Put some respect on that name. The pro- Here are here's some two interesting facts about John Mack. One. Dr. John Mack. Uh, Dr. John Mack. Uh, the people at Harvard described him as being extremely, extremely brilliant as a psychiatrist if it weren't for all the UFO stuff. Oh, uh, okay. He had a bit of like a... <laughs> He was a brilliant psychiatrist who also had a kind of obsession with UFO stories. All right. Furthermore, he was also really into environmental activism. All right. That's cool. Now, do you remember what the aliens told the children? The aliens said, forget about your homework. Take care of the planet. Yep. Do better. Stop cutting down trees to do math tests on. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And he said that to children. And he said it to children because it is each of our own personal responsibility to make the planet better. And it's not at the hands of big corporations who do most of the polluting on the planet. It's these 62 children. They got to do better. Precisely. I also want to mention a little bit about Cynthia Hind, the uh, the the person who uh, the, the 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 journalist who interviewed the children as well. Yeah, uh, she has an interesting bibliography. She's written two books that you can you can currently buy on on Amazon. One is called UFOs Over Africa, and the other one All is right. called UFOs African Encounters. All right. Cynthia Hind is a ufologist and a UFO writer <laughs> specifically. Okay. Hey, and so she wasn't there looking for like you know a uh, objective answer. She was looking for stuff to write about in regards to UFOs. She had an angle ready to go. Exactly, and and so like that 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 all of those draw a lot of questions about a lot of the assumptions made about how you like. If you think about it, those pieces coming together does result in the possibility that sixty three kids might have a pretty legit, a pretty like you know consistent story about seeing. Alien, uh, the same thing. Uh, also, and we've talked about this on this podcast multiple times, but it also speaks to the wonkiness of human memory. I think I've told you that uh, eyewit or that human memory is is plastic and is very subject to changes to the point where uh, the witnesses probably weren't lying, but memories can be influenced by external factors. One of the most famous and dramatic yeah. would be the satanic panic that happened in the US in the 1980s, in which there are people who did prison time for child abuse, for child abuse that never happened because it was surfaced through uh, like repressed memory, regression, hypnosis, and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, and, and we've, we've talked about it before a lot on this show, like with the Hills even going mm-hmm. through like hypnosis treatments to try and get memories out and how some of the alien encounters that they remember or, or think that they remembered could have been memories from Barney Hill's time in, in war and just that all of that traumatic experience being brought back up and yeah 
memory is a weird wonky thing in humans. People, mm-hmm. people like to think that memories act as like filing cabinets where you have a memory and you file it away until you need it again. But it's always constantly being worked on like Play-Doh or something. Unless you're my mom who just remembers everything perfectly. But yeah. she's a freak of nature that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the other thing that's also mentioned, and this is sort of one of the more mainstream explanations as to what happened, and that this is an incident of something called mass hysteria, which has uh, it has some sort of gendered connotations, the term hysteria. So the more common term used today is mass psychogenic illness or an MPI. Oh, but basically, cool. this is a phenomenon that is hard to study in social psychology or psychology in general. And so it's not a super well understood phenomenon, but it's definitely something that is real. And it's this sort of spontaneous and quick spread of either uh, false or exaggerated beliefs or some sort of like, like either beliefs or illness. Like uh, sometimes people actually have experienced physical illness or physical symptoms from like mm-hmm. beliefs. Like if there's like a uh, sort of there's like a mess, like psychogenic illness of like believing that there's like a poison in the school, then people might actually start showing symptoms of poisoning because mm-hmm. they just believe so hard in these things existing. Sure. There's a lot of famous examples of this. Some of the ones that stuck out to me are in 1979, uh, 48 students had one, had one of these instances happen. And mm-hmm. uh, according to it, some crazy cried, shivered, and started eating grass and empty glasses. Others stared into empty space with open eyes while performing a Tai Chi type of dance movement called the Kuda Kapang, uh, an ancient melee uh, wedding dance. Some were restrained from their Whoa. violent fits by teachers. And this happened to 48 students. This is in Malaysia, but um, this happens at a lot of places. It's apparently much more prevalent in students and in schools and prevalent primarily among young girls for some reason. And furthermore, furthermore, huh. there is a, um, a speci- an especial phenomenon of this happening in African schools, which might speak to different uh, ways the schools function or different sort of uh, cultural factors or things like that. Yeah. Another famous example is in 1965 in the UK, 85 girls passed out in two hours from one of these events. In uh, another place, 40 students were treated with nausea and dizziness and f- uh, four of them fainted. Both of them were psychogenic mass or mass psychogenic illnesses. And a famous example that you might recall is in the Middle Ages, there were these things called dancing plagues. Okay, so I think I've heard of these, but it's I don't really explain this to me. They were incidents of mass, like like almost as if a, a compulsive dancing was yeah. compulsive dancing was somehow contagious. And there were like multiple incidents of this in uh, medieval Europe. And we don't exactly know like why that might have happened, but it seems like this could have been an explanation as some some sort of mix of psychological and cultural factors that could have. Is it possible people in the Middle Ages were listening to Lizzo? Because when I listen to Lizzo, I cannot help but get up and dance. Damn. Lizzo's powerful. powerful Maybe she's a time traveler. That could, that could answer some things. Yeah. The problem with MPIs specifically is that they're hard to study. You can't exactly recreate them in experimental situations. So all you can ever really do is pick apart ones that happened in the past. So basically you're doing like mm-hmm. historical research rather than like psychological research, which is, you know, about isolating, isolating variables and, you know, finding answers that way. Seeing if Lizzo was around. Exactly. Did you see this? Did you see this woman? (laughs) It's just like, uh, maybe we need like, um, I know that there's like some uh, conspiracy theories of like actual time travelers by finding old photos of people who look similar. They should just have one of those, but it's just Lizzo and like various parts of history setting off. Have you seen this woman? You couldn't, you couldn't have missed her. She is a hundred percent that bitch. Dude, Reginald. 
I hope this letter finds you well. It has been three days since that bitch arrived in town. <laughs> she, re- she referred to something called a DNA test. We do not know what sort of witchcraft this might be. <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, but, but, but one of the theories that is kind of mainstream, like it's at least one of the better theories as to why this is the case, but of course can't be verified, is that it is using something called the mirror neurons. And this sort of is an interesting part of the human brain as well, which is that we are, as social species, hardwired wired to experience empathy with other people. This is why Mm -hmm. we can, this is probably like, if there are species that don't have these, they would not find any entertainment in like television or movies because the reason that we can enjoy some of these things Mm. is because we feel what other people feel. It's like our sort of, uh, it's like the hard wiring of human empathy with other people. Yeah. So there's some thought that neurologically, now keep in mind, we are delving into some areas where we're dealing with uh, neuropsychology and psychology that uh, is very like only loosely understood and we don't have great grasps on. But but the theory is that these mirror neuron events would then uh, suggest that MPIs are sort of like an inverse uh, effect of what we see in people who are experiencing autism. Uh, Okay. People who, uh, and and keep in mind this, this might, uh, I'm, I'm, I I would suggest, but like a lot of things about, about, uh, because autism is a very wide spanning disorder that can, uh, can can experience in a lot of very different ways. Um, but one of the things just that- just watch the good doctor it handles oh, God. it perfectly Not handles even it as a perfectly goddamn <laughs> Um, but like autism spectrum disorder, uh, one of the effects on it can, uh, neurologically might be that the mirror neurons don't exactly work right. And so your Mm -hmm. ability to sort of intuitively feel how other people are feeling doesn't really work right. And that might be one of the sort of multitude things that is sort of, uh, working funky to make, again, our knowledge of the brain is so loosey goosey that we really don't have a solid answer, but this is one of the possible ways that autism works. And I would even argue that saying, it doesn't work right is maybe even a misnomer I mean, it doesn't work how typically someone might work sure it doesn't mean it's wrong yeah but this might be the mirror this might be the mirror of that and if there is an overactive uh mirror neuronal response it might lead to things like mass psychogenic illness mm-hmm. but again i'm not a keep my keep that with a fucking like dump truck full of salt because Huge. that is somebody who is yeah. not a psychologist and also somebody who is not an expert on any of these subjects i'm just reading off of what i have heard other people say and again even uh from what i researched i did not see people being super competent about this answer because they can't experimentally study mpis so this is just like could be but like experts saying that so it's at least got right a bit of oomph to it it almost feels like have you seen midsummer midsummer no uh i probably will someday but i watched hereditary and it traumatized me because i maybe i haven't talked about this on this podcast before uh i i think that when it comes to like this mirror neuron thing i am overtuned because i can't handle horror movies very well me either and it's and and here's the thing maybe somebody maybe somebody on the internet can give me an answer here but the same feeling that makes me not really like horror movies is also the reason that i can't really stand watching the office oh because you just same get too fe- cringed you yeah get too cringed out the same feeling hits me that i i feel when i watch horror movies and i feel really uncomfortable and i can't watch it and i don't know what it is but see i can watch cringy comedies if they're scripted i can't do if it's like a live like a real like man on the street sort of a thing and it's really cringy like i can't deal with that 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 is like ugh, i can't normally can't i'm like so so on that except the fact that that completely violating all of this is that I fucking love Nathan Fielder's comedy. 
That's it's it's hilarious. <laughs> Nathan <laughs> for you is good. possibly one of my favorite shows. And uh, the rehearsal is one of the greatest seasons of television ever made. It's very good. I was going to say about Midsommar though, is that they, the, it, it has a lot of like when someone is feeling really big feelings, everyone in the town sort of, emulates their their feelings in, in a way so like if someone is like sobbing everyone around them like emulates that sobbing and like a big crowd so like it almost feels like it's like a weird sort of it feels in that sort of vein of like o- over empathetic like in a weird way that movie's weird yeah. man i don't know what to tell i'm also you. reading a book uh actually i'm rereading this book because i think i've reread this book like a dozen times but it's one of my favorite novels mm. and it's called parable of the sower uh mm. and the main character oh, in the book yeah. also has a sort of overactive empathy but it's almost like a psychic power but when she like hurts other people she like experiences that pain herself oh wow which is uh it doesn't it doesn't help it doesn't help you very much when you live in a post-apocalyptic hellscape no not very much but yeah, so that's so in summation, Zimbabwe is a land of contrast. No, these, these, these kids these are kids. liars. These, these kids are liars. These kids were led along and possibly exploited by people who were looking for an excuse to tell a UFO story and exploited yeah. cultural misunderstandings about Zimbabweans and also uh, leaned on people's accreditation to use lazy research in order to essentially force their narrative through. And because ufologists don't super care about having that uh rigorousness in their research no. this is still touted very often as proof positive that this was a close encounter of the third kind all right but if you like to all have right. a close encounter of the third kind with the two of us you can go to at props not aliens on twitter that's true you can do that we post stuff there maybe occasionally sometimes mm-hmm. um we like hearing from you we like hearing feedback from you it's very helpful but if I wanted, if I didn't care about this Scott fellow and I just wanted to hear more about Tristan and what he's up to and what he does on in maybe like a video medium, Ooh. where could I do that? Well, that would be, that would not be recommended overall. But uh, if you really do want that, you can go to Step Back uh, at stepbackhistory.com where you can see this is coming out on June 6th, right? Uh, I think so. So then you can watch my latest video, uh, unless I'm in a lot of trouble right now, about uh, China. It basically is going to be this absurdly long video about everything that is, has to do with China without without playing into either side of this new growing Cold War. You're going to both sides China. Yeah, and it's, Scott, if I wanted to hop on a story about YouTube plagiarism a few weeks after it had be hit peak hopefully, Twitter. Hopefully I have other videos out by then. I'm working on one about... Sorry, what that was really mean. To- I should just rephrase that. No, I'm, I'm working on a video about what happened to Scooby-Doo fruit snack gummies? Okay. Think about that one. TikTok is obsessed about the opaque blue Scooby-Doo gummy that no longer exists. Oh, I think I remember those. Yeah. I'm also working on a video about the writer's strike and how it affected, uh, because I always have to relate things to comic books and things, how did, how the writer's strike affected comic book movies. Mm-hmm. Spoilers in the, like in the, the last writer's strike in 2007, uh, spoilers, we got the worst, arguably universally the worst comic book movie, maybe the worst, at, at the very least, the worst X-Men movie that came out oh not the daredevil with uh with um what's his name um no that was before then that one was just bad but we got x-men origins wolverine because of the last writer's strike so i remember when they made the like uh mutant deadpool in that one yeah 
Yeah. Had no mouth. You want to hear, you want to think, think about, think about that for a second. You have the wise cracking Wade Wilson Deadpool. And because they had a writer's strike, they literally were like, well, we can't write any jokes for him because we don't have writers. So we're going to sew his mouth shut. So think about that. Yeah. Maybe writers are important. Maybe writers are important. That's my YouTube channel, Nerds Inc. N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. Go check it out. You can support this podcast if you want to by listening to episodes a week early over at nebula.tv slash probably not aliens. And you can also support the show in free ways like writing reviews and listening to it on the freeway. That's a free way to yeah, support there you the go. podcast if you think wow. about it. Yeah, we are, thank we you. apologize for the pun levels in this episode. It's good stuff. Let me pull it up. No, <laughs> there it is. Okay. But yeah, write reviews. It really helps out the show and, and tell your friends about it. That's how this show grows. And the best way to, the best place to send your friends is a very simple link, probsnotaliens.com. Mm-hmm. I will have a poll up by now about whether, whether if we're going to Detroit or Chicago for our live event or live meetup we've had people vote for chicago so far so we i talked about it with the family and i think we're going to try and roll it into our like holiday trip to kelly's hometown which is around chicago so so we might forego a poll and just do chicago but we'll see how it goes democracy must prevail if you want to meet us live later in november this year yeah that's it until next time my name is scott nicewander i'm tristan johnson and the truth is out there problemble Good jokes. Good yeah. jokes this episode. Very Big funny. fan of the jokes. This is the episode we get officially canceled for, for my bad jokes in your soundboard. Probably. <laughs>